Blog Talk Radio. Talk about one of the greatest fighters in the history of boxing. Um, he's anywhere from my he, he's in my top twenty to top thirty. A lot of people have him in the top ten. I wouldn't go that far. Um, he's not even the greatest light heavyweight of all time, so he doesn't belong in the top ten fighters of all time. He's my fourth greatest light heavyweight of all time. A pioneer, a man who did not receive a title shot until the age of thirty six because of overt racism in the light heavyweight and middleweight division in boxing back in the 1940s. He was uh, a, quite a legend, too, I mean, when it comes down, even in his own time, was he not? Oh, yes. Even after he retired, he appeared in several movies. He was Muhammad Ali's first trainer, and he was George Foreman's first trainer. And if you notice his style, Foreman incorporated into his defense that uh, herky-jerky, uh, crisscross, arm, crisscross arm defense that Archie Moore and also Archie Moore bobbed and weaved a lot and made it hard to hit at many, many a time. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's, it's an interesting, um, pre- he's kind of like a precursor to an Ali and to a foreman. He kind of had elements, he, you could see that they both uh, took elements from him, but different ones. Um, and well, foreman Foreman more like Ali. Ali, um, he was Ali's first trainer, and Ali fired him after three or four weeks because Archie Moore brought him out to his camp in San Diego, California, and basically, in between spar, in between training sessions, would have Ali do uh, chores around the house, washing dishes, throwing out the garbage, cleaning the apartment. And Ali's like, man, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> he was like doing the Mr. Miyagi thing, like first paint, <laughs> paint fence. Wash car. Ali's like, I just came home from winning the Olympic gold medal. I don't need this bullshit. But uh, <laughs> Foreman had no problem doing that, and he was a gold medalist too. Ali was like, get the fuck out of here. Go hire yourself a butler. I'm out of here. <laughs> too much royalty in his blood for that shit. <laughs> so, so Archie Moore here, he comes in. Um, uh, he comes in the fight game. When I mean, talk about his early career. He was 18 years old when he turned pro in 1935. And the majority of the first 50 fights of his career were fought throughout the Missouri era. The, the Missouri area. Um, Archie Moore was born in Mississippi, and his father left him when he was just a couple of months old. And he had to support his family. So at 18, he became a boxer, moved to Missouri, and made his residence in St. Louis, Missouri, and fought the majority of his first 50 fights in Missouri. And he was a middleweight. He started as a middleweight. Then finally, around 1944, he moved up to the light heavyweight division. Now, the 1940 had some of the greatest fighters in the history of the light heavyweight division. Charlie Burley, Holman Williams, Ezra Charles, Jimmy Vivens, Archie Moore, Bob Satterfield. 
what 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 was uh what was uh the one thing they all had in common? They were all black. And none of them received a shot at the light heavyweight championship of the world. They had to fight each other several times for the unofficial black light heavyweight championship of the world. This this group of fighters were known as the Black Murderers Row. White champions, and the white champions at that time were Gus Lesnovich, Billy Codd, Freddie Mills, and Joey Maxim, were scared to death of these fighters. And not one time between 1940 and 1950 did any of these black fighters receive a championship opportunity. The only black fighter in this era that received a shot at the world title was Billy Fox. Why? Because he was owned by the mob, and he had beat Jake LaMotta in that famous fight in which LaMotta had to throw it in order to get a middleweight title shot. And Billy Fox was hitting him at will, and LaMotta was up against throws like, come on, man, make this look good. You're not hurting me. You're tickling me. Yeah, they dramatized that well in Raging Bull. Yes, that, that fight was, was dramatized in Raging, Raging Bull. Billy Fox, after winning that fight, got a shot at the title and uh, got knocked out in the first round. <laughs> he was a fucking stiff. He was old by the mob. He was the mob's black boy. Right, right. And so, so this, this this racial uh, prejudice then, and, and just fear, basically, because these guys were going to dominate the division if See, they were. look, you had all these guys, the majority of these guys that are, uh, are in the Hall of Fame because of their greatness, because of their greatness. But none of the white champions and the established guard in boxing, especially the IBO and the mob, would not give these guys a shot at the title unless they signed with the mob, and they weren't going to sign their lives away. Only Billy Fox, who wasn't a pimple on, these guys, on any of these guys' asses. The best fighter in the light heavyweight division throughout the 1940s was the greatest light heavyweight of all time, a guy that we talked about on his great performances, Ezra Charles. Ezra Charles received a couple of non-title fights, but never a title shot, and he dominated those, title, those non-title fights. Him and Archie Moore fought each other three times, he beat Archie Moore three times, all three times, a lot light heavyweight. That's why when people try to say Archie Moore is the greatest light heavyweight of all time, how could you be the greatest light heavyweight of all time when a guy beat you three times and not one time in those three times did you come close to winning? Ezra Charles was a modern fighter. He was ahead of his time, and he would go on to win the heavyweight championship of the world after not getting his title shot at light heavyweight. Finally, Archie Moore... At the ripe age of 36, four days after his 36th birthday, December 17, 1952, Joey Maxim finally gives a black fighter a shot at the world title in Moore's hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. Maybe they thought he was over the hill. Uh, uh, maybe he was the safest of all these other guys that he would fight. I mean, Maxim gave a non-title fight to Ezra Charles. Ezra, Ezra Charles bopped the floor with him. Once as a Charles saw he couldn't get a title shot, he moved up to heavyweight and became the heavyweight champion of the world after Joe Lewis retired. Yep. So let's talk about um, this fight with uh, Joey Maxim, because there was more than one, right? They fought three times. All three times he dominated Maxim. In this fight, Archie Moore fought a phenomenal fight. The very first round. Now, Archie Moore, as you can see in this fight, while he had a good left jab, didn't use it because his herky-jerky movement set up opportunities to land that leaping left hook that he loved. And he had a phenomenal right cross. And in the very first round, towards the end of the first round, he staggers Maxim with a phenomenal right cross. It being later in the round, saved Maxim from being got knocked out. Now, Maxim had a tremendous chin and was a tremendous fighter, despite 
the fact that he didn't want to fight black fighters. He was a very good fighter, was never knocked out, and is in the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was a 15-round uh, grueling fight there. And, but it was all Archie Ball. I didn't give a single round to Joey Maxim. Maxim couldn't keep more off of him. More with his herky-jerky movement, stagging him in the third round with a right cross, stagging him again in the fourth round with a right cross. Maxim was a boxer. He was a mover. He had a tremendous left jab. Archie Moore kept ducking under the jab with his herky-jerky crisscross, bobbing and weaving, and would time that jab and land that right cross over and over and over again. And towards the middle of the fight, Maxim just started holding because he just trying to survive. He knew he had no shot at beating the old mongoose, the ageless Archie Moore, who at the age of 36 easily won a 15-round unanimous decision to become the first black light heavyweight champion in over 15, in almost 15 years. Yeah, so talk about his technique, man. I mean, what what is he doing here? I mean, you're talking a little bit about him, him mimicking he's George got, Foreman. He's got, a, he's got a herky-jerky movement that uh, he has that uh, cross, cross-arm defense. He, he bobs and weaves a lot, and he's short for light heavyweight. I, I think Archie Moore's only 5'8". Let me verify that. I mean, and with this herky-jerky movement, he's he's down on the ground. It's hard for you to hit him. Oh, my bad. He's five foot eleven. Damn, he looks so short in these fights. He's five foot eleven. But him going to the ground makes it hard for a fighter to hit him. He had a tremendous defense. He was a tremendous fighter. Yeah, he blocks. He he does block a lot of shots with that. And, the with Chris, and he taught George Foreman that defense. And George Foreman, at the beginning of his career, didn't use it. But when Foreman came back after his ten years sabbatical. That's the main defense he used, that main style, the crisscross, the crisscross arm uh, defense. Now, we also see him with a very good jab, very fast. When he, when he decided to use it, yeah. in, in these three fights, he didn't have to use it. Now, in the middle rounds against Maxim, he used it, but he didn't have to because he had time Maxim's jab to the point where he didn't need it. And his herky-jerky herky jerky movement, you didn't know what he was going to throw, a jab, hook, right cross. He, yeah, he, well, whenever he, he, whenever he, he did throw a jab, whenever he, yeah, did, whenever he did throw a jab, it was very powerful jab. It wasn't just like a little, um, you know, uh, tiny, like, and, tap. And, 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 and being that he uh, had that herky-jerky Bob and Wee style, he jabbed to the body a lot because he was always underneath your fucking cup. <laughs> now, um, do you see him? Did Joey Maxim get any clean shots in this? There was not one single shot in which Archie Ball's attention was, was, was which he caught Archie Ball's attention. I didn't see one shot in this fight. I mean, Maxim landed mostly the jab, but it was like a mosquito bouncing off of Archie Ball's chin. So why couldn't? Um, it's just he had such a great chin, Maxim, that he couldn't be put away. Yeah, I mean, oh, but Joey Maxim had a legendary chin. I mean, Ezra Charles dominated him in the outside of fight, did knock him out, and Ezra Charles one of the greatest punches in the history of lightweight division. All right, so after he uh, wins a unanimous decision, they fight again, or? Uh, he, he fights him two more times, and he dominates him two more times. Why do they have him fight so many times? I guess they're the only guy that would fight him. Oh, no, at, at this point in time, the main light heavyweights, because all the other light heavyweights that we had talked about, Bob Satterfield, Hoban Williams, Charlie Burley, Jimmy Vivid, they either moved up to light heavyweight or, after years of, of, of frustration, retired. Oh. As the Charles was the heavyweight champion of the world. So Archie Moore 
also had his eyes on the heavyweight championship of the world, and he wanted to move up. He would get a t- but he would get his first title shot until four years later. Meanwhile, the best light heavyweights on the planet were him, Maxim, and Harold Johnson, and he would dominate both guys, beating them. He, he beat Maxim and Johnson both three times. Wow. So six fights there between all of them. Yeah. Um, now, so we get into... Um... And this takes us up to his title defense against former middleweight champion of the world, Bobo, Bobo Olsen, Carl Bobo Olsen, on June 22nd, 1955. Yeah, now this guy is much better than uh, Maxim. But I... Uh, not, uh, he gave more better fight than Maxim. I would say he was better than Maxim. You're right, you're right. He's not better because he gets... He yeah. gets Take, he gets dealt with a lot sooner, but I just think like he 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 makes it's a much more exciting fight, yeah. And he gives yeah, because because Maxim was running against against Boyd only. Uh, Bobo Olsen's not a runner; he comes right at you. And um, yeah, he took the fight two, to him. He took the fight to Moore, which uh, Bobo Olsen could have came in the ring with a shotgun. He wasn't beating on <laughs> He wasn't as good as Moore. Finally, the third round, Moore landed a phenomenal double left hook that put Olsen to sleep. As this fight is a mismatch, Olsen was a very good middleweight. Was at light heavyweight, he was just outclassed. We talked about him getting destroyed by Jose Torres last month in Torres' greatest performances. Another great light heavyweight champion, and here he gets destroyed by Archie Moore, one of the greatest light heavyweights of all time. This was a no contest. Only reason Archie Moore took this fight was because it was an easy payday, and it was a and it was a tune-up for his fight against the heavyweight champion of the world. Rocky Marciano, Marciano's last fight. And in that fight, he knocked down Marciano in the second round. He knocked him down. But Marciano was just too powerful for Archie Moore. And he beat up more. He dropped more four times before finally put Archie Moore to sleep in the ninth round. So little Marciano puts down more. I mean, they're about the same size, though. Yeah, they're both about 188, 189 in this, in, in this fight. But remember, Archie Moore, when he fights, Fought Rocky Marciano was thirty-nine old. years old. Yeah, Rocky Marciano was what? Uh, late twenties. No, yeah, early thirties, maybe early thirties. Rocky Marciano. He's probably in his. He was in his prime. But that was Marciano's last fight. If they would have fought each other in their prime, Archie Moore knocks out Rocky Marciano. Marciano made a living out of beating old men. Archie Moore, is it Charles? He beat a bunch of Joe Lewis, Joe, Walk, Joe Walcott, Joe Lewis. All these guys were aging and way past their prime. And look, Archie Moore is past his prime. And he and he knocks down Marciano. Imagine if they would have fought in his prime. Marciano would have been destroyed. <laughs> so he was Marciano was like one of the most protected fighters out there of the heavyweight. Without, without a doubt, because his career, if you look at his career, he never beat a great fighter in their prime. All the guys he fought, Lewis, Charles, Walcott, Moore, were way past their prime. And before he could even fight a very good up-and-coming young fighter, he retired. So who should he have fought before he retired? Well, he he would have beaten Floyd Patterson. Floyd Patterson had no chin. When he retired, Floyd Patterson was number one contender. Floyd would have got knocked out. But that would have been a bonus for, for, for a... That would have been a that, that would have been something Marciano had done. Fight a, a very young, great an Olympic gold medalist in Floyd Patterson. I see, but he was scared. So he didn't I, get... I don't, I, I don't, I don't think Marciano was scared. Marciano was a fighter. He was a warrior. I think it was more his management team. 
So you're saying like he wasn't really the one ducking these people? No, Marciano had the heart of a lion. It was no, no, it was it was his manager. They protected Marciano. I see, because he was because he would because he'd fight to the he death. He was a one-dimensional fighter. Right. He was an, he was Arturo Gatti in the heavyweight division. <laughs> yeah, and he, he came around and he came around at the right time. He came around. At the, if he would have fought in the '60s, Ali would have put him in the hospital. If he would have fought in the '70s. George Foreman and Joe Frazier might have killed him. No, he, he came around well, yeah. He probably would have fought right after he retired, it was the uh, the emergence of Sonny Liston. If Liston, if Marshall were ever defending against Liston, oh, <laughs> it would have been over. <laughs> yeah, but imagine him going through 50, 49 fights, man. Like, not really. Like, who was his toughest fight? Well, uh, people forget uh, when he knocked out Joe Lewis in the ninth round. Lewis was ahead on the scorecard. And this was a decrepit Joe Lewis. When he knocked out Joe Walcott, Jersey Joe Walcott, to win the heavyweight championship of the world, he was way behind. He needed a miracle. Knocked him out of the 13th round with a spectacular right cross. So even these old, Ezra Charles, Ezra Charles gave two very difficult. He defended the title against Charles twice. And in both fights, Charles gave him hell. These fighters are past their pride. But if you have to look at this, when he fought these guys, Archie Moore knocked him down. These guys were past their prime, giving Marciano hell. So if these guys were in their prime, Marciano gets knocked out by all those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was, I mean, but, you know, he was kind of like, you know, a, 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 a cultural figure. Heavyweight. He was 5'8", 185 pounds. That's just not working in the heavyweight division of a 6'3", Ali, 6'3", Holmes, 6'6", Lennox Lewis, 6'7", Anthony Joshua. Mike Tyson at five ten. They were all they were all they were all bigger and stronger than Marciano. He fought these aging light heavyweights who moved up, and and, and an aging heavy, great at Joe Lewis, and he struggled. Even by beating these guys, he still struggled. But I mean, he had to be good enough to beat them. That was you know at least like he was that good. But yeah, I mean, he had to have some some uh, hard. Oh, well, I mean, against Walcott, he was getting his ass handed to him until he knocked him out. He was way behind. So that was the that was the warrior mentality that Rocky Moss never give up attitude. And he that got he took attitude, a punch, right? He had a good chin. He had a great chin, but that same attitude would have got a bludgeon against guys like Ali listed and if and uh the guys he beat past their prime if he would have fought them in their prime. Right, right. So Seattle had a no quit a- attitude and he never took a back step. He'd walk right into those shots. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about uh, this uh, next fight so here. After, so after after he loses to Marciano, Marciano retires, and then he wins several consecutive fights before fighting Floyd Patterson for the vacant world championship, uh, November 30th, 1956, and Patterson was too quick. Moore was too old. Had they fought in their prize, Archie Moore knocked out Floyd Patterson because Floyd Patterson had a China chin. But at this point in time, Archie's 40 years old, going up 41, and Patterson beats the shit out of him before finally putting him to sleep in the fifth round. So was that a good fight, though? It was a one-sided beating. Okay. Now, uh, so go on from there. So, and then, and then while, while he's still not heavyweight champion of the world, for some strange reason, he fights non-title fights against two famous wrestlers. Uh, Roy Shire, who was the king of San Francisco wrestling, he, he, he booked San Francisco, the old San Francisco uh, uh, territory for years, and uh, Sterling Dizzy Davis, who taught 
Gorgeous George, the homosexual gimmick that he brought to the United States. I, I didn't understand those fights. And they're on his record as official knockout. They should be listed as exhibitions. I mean, that shit was ridiculous. So he, besides that, he would defend the title several times. December 10th, 1958, a fight that we covered on the greatest fights in boxing history, he fought Yvonne Durrell in Durrell's hometown of Montreal, Canada. And Durrell knocked down more three times in the first round. Moore is out on his feet. I don't know how Moore survived the first round of people that want to uh, see and, and, and hear about us talk about that fight. Go to the archives because we, we have the YouTube uh, footage on there plus our analysis of that fight. Uh, in my opinion, one of the maybe the greatest light heavyweight fight of all time, if not a close second to the Matthew Salmohamed Yaki Lopez 1980 fight that we covered on the greatest fights in boxing history. And Archie Moore, one of the greatest comebacks in boxing history because he got knocked down three times in the first, got knocked down in the fifth round, and he's way behind on the scorecards where he comes from behind in the 11th round. He bludges Durrell, knocking him down four times and finally puts Darrell to sleep to regain his World Light Heavyweight Championship. So then, uh, so then, okay, so he's got the he's got his light heavyweight championship back, and, and no, he, he's still champion. And then he gives Darrell a rematch eight months later. Later, the last fight we'll be talking about, uh, August twelfth, nineteen fifty nine. Once again, they go back to Montreal, and this time it's a different story. Oh, what happened? Well, it's the third fight. You, you saw it. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Um, th- the first th- fight was a war. He was dropped three, four times in the first five rounds. Got back up and knocked out Darrell in the 11th round. The rematch, it was all Archie. Yes. Now this rematch here is, uh, it, it was a good, it was, it was a really good fight though. Hey, what? Uh, Darrell is a slugger. Darrell does not take a backward step. And, um, he had tremendous power. Moore had figured about the first fight, so the second fight, Moore knew Durrell was going to come at him, so Moore outslugged Durrell. And in the third round, first two rounds were tremendous back and forth action. In the third round, he lands a spectacular left hook that drops Durrell. And like two times, Durrell almost goes out the ring. I mean, Moore is just bludgeoning Durrell. Yeah. Durrell's hurt. Moore is throwing. This is a 43-year-old man who is throwing punches and punches in the third round. And he drops Darrell four times. Finally, the fourth time, Darrell is out. Referee stops the fight. A spectacular victory for Archie Moore. The last great performance of his career. Because shortly after this, he gets stripped of the light heavyweight championship of the world. Because he can't make light heavyweight anymore. He wants to fight a heavyweight. He goes up to heavyweight, and he becomes a name on a, a people's record. He's no longer that grabby. God damn it. 44 years old, 45, 46, when he becomes a full-time heavyweight. And the first big win of Muhammad, Ali, Muhammad Ali's career at the time, Cassius Clay, was a fight that they should have sanctioned. It, it, this fight made no sense. November 15, 1962, he beats the shit out of Archie Moore, knocking him out in the fourth round. <laughs> and um, Archie Moore um, actually... Wait, so he actually fought um, November 15, 1962. He fought Muhammad Ali, and he took up beating. This guy that he used to train? Yes. That's 
Uh, then he ended up training him later. No, no. He started training Ali with Ali came out. That's what I'm saying. I, I was, that's weird, man. So this is revenge for him wanting to clean his, uh, his, <laughs> his bathroom and shit. Ali, Ali beat the shit out that old man. Oh, my God. They, I, when you watch the footage of this fight, you feel sorry for it. I mean, I know it's a payday. He got big bucks. I think he might have got $100,000 to take this beating. But, God damn, Ali beat the shit out of him. He just took him apart. Like, he just had oh, no... And it didn't matter... Archie Walker had been 25 years old, and in his prime, he could have fucked with Ali. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And man. then finally, now, a lot of a lot of records, a lot of official boxing records, list this as Archie Moore's last fight. Actually, he had one more fight against another wrestler, Ted DiBiase's pop, Iron Mike DiBiase. <laughs> in a ridiculous mismatch, he knocks out DiBiase the third round and finally retires for good. <laughs> and that was on his record, too? Yeah, that's on, I don't know why it's on his record. Those three fights against those three wrestlers should be stricken for the record book. In all intents and purposes, his career ended with Ali bludgeoned him to death. So where where um, did he did he he's dead obviously at this point? Yeah, uh, he died in nineteen ninety eight at the age of eighty one. Never showed any never showed any signs of dementia. Was as sharp in his eighty in his seventies and, and up until he died, as he was when he retired. He became a movie actor, a boxing trainer. I mean, he helped he he helped shape George Foreman one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. And George Foreman to this day always talks about how instrumental Archie Moore was in his career. And if you go on Twitter and you ask George Foreman, he'll ask you too, what, what's your thoughts on Archie Moore? He'll rant and oh, he'll go on a huge uh, soliloquy about how great of an influence Archie Moore was in, in his career. Well, he's a legendary name in boxing, that's for sure. Um, he, I think he's remembered better than somebody like Ezra Charles for some reason. I, I'm he not... is. He is. He is. He is. More, yes. Yes. Without a doubt. And uh, I guess because he fought Marciano, but so did Ezra Charles. So I, I mean, I guess. He, Ezra Charles fought Marciano twice. Ezra Charles was the heavyweight champion of the world. Archie Moore failed twice and tried to be the heavyweight champion. Yeah, but and, some... Ezra, and Ezra Charles beat, beat him three out of three. But also, um, do you see some of those interviews uh, on the links that you sent? Like he's. He's very charismatic. Very charismatic. Archie Moore was one of the most charismatic fighters of all time. Yeah. So he had a very uh, he, he, he a great at, baby at, face. At a, at a time where fighters didn't speak, Archie Moore was one of the first fighters. Hey, you ever see what those interviews with Joe Lewis put me to fucking sleep? Oh, I'm just going to go in there and do my best. <laughs> <laughs> But but he was a very he was still baby face. He wasn't like a heel like Muhammad Ali or anything. Oh so. look, in St. Louis, it's a sellout crowd to beat Joey Mack in his hometown, and it's a majority white audience because they're rooting for Archie Moore because he's their hometown hero. Yeah, and uh, I heard them. They were all saying, "Come on, Archie!" Oh yeah, they they they. Oh, Archie was a what well, if if you are top ten popular fighters of all time, he's in the top ten. Uh, that's top that's 10 what I'm saying. Like. That's why he gets rated so highly because he was. Yes, because he's very, very popular to the day he died. Very popular figure in history boxing. Top ten, you could even say top five if you want to make that argument. I would argue with you. And it just shows you that, that you know, you don't have to be in order to be a popular fighter. You don't have to be the best fighter. You know, like. But he was a great fighter. He wasn't the best, but he was a great fighter. 
uh, had a lot of heart. I mean, gave it his all. I mean, he's probably the, the most popular of, of of his weight class of that era, right? Without a doubt, it's not even close. Yeah. And in the history of the light heavyweight division, the only guy that you could say was possibly more popular Archie Moore was Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> yeah. Good point. But and as far as the greatest light heavyweights of all time, I'll give my list again. Number five is Joe. I got Archie Moore at four. Michael Spinks at three. Bob Foster at two. And there's a Charles, number one. And a big shout-out to my man Double G of Fight Game Block. I started writing articles. I'm doing a series. The greatest welterweights of all time. I've written two. Number five, Kid Gavilan. Number four, Tommy Hearns. And next week, I will write who's number three and... Uh, I'll just venture a guess that his name starts with Sugar Ray. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, could be could be Sugar Ray Robinson or Sugar Ray Leonard. Hey, one of those two. It's either, <laughs> it's either or. Or Sugar Ray Vaughn. I don't know who's <laughs> no, who's that guy that's like a singer. Or just Sugar Ray. That's right. Oh, oh, you talking about Mark? Uh, what's that guy? Mark? Uh, what the fuck's his name? Mark something. He's pretty cool. Yeah. He hosted. Yeah. He hosted. Uh, Entertainment tonight for you. <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that's Sugar Ray. I used to think his name was Sugar Ray. Although he's the, he's the least singer of the group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he had a few hits, but uh, but anyway, um, we will uh, be back uh, talking. Uh, actually, next week um, I'm going to be in Vegas, so I won't be able to do any shows. Uh, but the following week we'll have to pick it up. So what yeah, do we... I, I, I got I got a couple of friends that go to Vegas. You're the third person. What's going on in Vegas? The, the, F4, the F4W, man. Oh, okay. All right. The convention, um, you know, with Dave and Brian, they'll all be there. Shout out, shout out to Dan Cisneros. Um, he's going to be in Vegas also, but he's coming back Friday. I don't think he's going to be there Saturday and Sunday. Uh, he's one of the great boxing historians out there. He's written, he's, he's written a book that's coming out soon, his first boxing book. Um, we will cover it once I read it. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll, we'll donate an entire show. We'll devote an entire show to his book. Um, um, Dan Sistero, shout out to him. He's in Vegas right now. He's going to be there until Friday. Logan, have a ball out in Vegas. Don't need to do any shows next week because uh, I'm going to go see Mary J. Blige and Cotton next Saturday and just relax on Sunday. Sounds good, man. But what about what do we got cooking up for the next? When you come back, we will be doing a fight recap show in two weeks. With uh, McGregor. They weather McGregor fight and next Saturday. A tremendous fight, one of the biggest junior welterweight fights of all time in on ESPN. Julius Indago against one of the best fighters on the planet, Terrence Crawford, for all the world junior welterweight championships. Is that the undercard? No, no, that's the main event on ESPN next week. Oh, next week, all right. And then the week after is the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Okay, so that that when do you think that'll come on, like on ESPN, like eleven o'clock or something? Last week they had a card with Vasil Lomachenko, one of the best fighters in the world. The yeah, how, how'd, that, how'd you like that? He needs to stop fighting his fucking stiffs. <laughs> Just one more stiff to add to his thing. Uh, right? Fucking believable. You get lazy fighting bums like that. Anyway. Yeah, you get you get rusty. Fight, that fight was supposed to, that call was supposed to start at 10 o'clock. They, they, they had the NFL Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and it ran past almost midnight. That card didn't. Come on, Global Spin God damn it. Yeah. All right, well, uh, we'll be uh, looking at that. McGregor, last-minute prediction on McGregor, man. He gets whitewashed. 
he gets whitewashed over 12 rounds or he gets fucking waxed after. If he, go, if, if he goes 12 rounds, they're going to need to put him in a, they're going to need a, uh, he might have a heart attack. If he goes 12 he rounds, oxygen. if he goes 12 he rounds. Oxygen. He needs an oxygen mask if he goes 12 rounds. I'm just saying, if he goes 12 rounds, he will have gained respect in the boxing community, right? I mean. And meanwhile, he's got a war with Paulie Balanagi over Twitter because uh, Balanagi quit the camp. Fuck you, Paulie. You predicted Conor was had the goods to beat Mayweather. Now all of a sudden, because the guy badmouthed you and fired you from training camp, that he's he's, he's a stiff. Fuck you, Paulie. Yeah, it makes you look like a fucking liar, right? I know. <laughs> no, and it was funny because I think like uh, I think what McGregor's trying to do is set up an angle for another fight, another mega fight. You know, like with Paul. It would it would be the biggest payday of Paulie's career, and McGregor might even beat him. <laughs> Yeah, Paulie. Paulie's beatable. That's the Very thing. Beatable. He's got no punch. He's one of the worst punches in the history of boxing. His fucking punch could crack an egg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think like McGregor was walking through his punches and like didn't you know? And, and he knocked him down one time. It's foreign. And, and so uh, McGregor made a big deal about it. Paulie started crying. So Paulie. Well, Paulie claimed he was pushed. He claimed he was pushed. I think that's bullshit. I think he was not. I think that's bullshit. I think he was knocked out. I think Paulie was trying to hurt McGregor and he walked into one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, but that's the thing, man. Like, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting. What Are you going to buy the fight? I I bought uh, a ticket to see it at the, a, uh, the AMC movie theater on 42nd Street. Oh, for $40? Yeah, for $40, yeah. All right, that's cool. That'll be fun. Yeah, because the Mayweather fight's going to be on the following week. No need for me to spend a hundred where I can see it live, and then the next week put it in my collection, record it for my collection. <laughs> That's going to be quite a spectacle, man. So it's it's a historic event, you know. Everybody should check it out. Just It'll be fun. Is there anything good on the undercard? Uh, one of the best uh, young fighters on the planet is fighting on the undercard, Javante Davis. Uh, hopefully him and Lomachenko can fight later on. He's got the type of style that could give Lomachenko cre- uh, problems. Very quick softball, and Lomachenko's softball. So that would be an interesting matchup when they face each other. Um, he's fighting a guy I've never heard of before. So it's another mismatch. It's how these guys fight mismatches. Uh, you got Sean Porter's on the other card. So you got a couple of good fighters, but of course these guys are fighting nobody. All right, then, man. We will be back then in a couple of weeks, then talking about that event. Thanks again, One Silver, man. I'll talk to you soon, man. Have a good uh, I'll talk couple to you weeks. Two weeks. You you enjoy your trip to Vegas, right? I'll send uh, I'll send they, you some uh, te- I'll send you some uh, yeah, text, text messages. Me, text, me, text me some pics. Uh, who, who else is going that that I know is uh our boy Hollywood Asia going? I don't believe he is going, but uh, I'll yeah, look. We'll figure it out who you know and who you don't know when I get there because oh, I don't even I don't even I'm know who they are. So there uh, UFC is there a UFC fight next week? No, no, it's good. We're all gonna watch SummerSlam. In Vegas. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm moving from Brooklyn. You fucking live in Brooklyn. You fucking you're fucking ten blocks away from the Barclays Center. <laughs> I know it's stupid. I'm gonna go over there and watch it on the screen with Dave and you, Brian. You 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 fuck you could you could it's a five minute walk to the Barclays Center from your house. Yeah. Hey, you to... <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I'm just going for the fucking York? Vegas. Alright, take some pictures of Dave and Brian, and um, I'll talk to you in two weeks, big man. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you later. Peace, everybody. Thanks for listening. Geekdom101.com.